0: I'm thankful to be here today, uh, not just to preach the sermon, but actually to be out of my pajamas and uh, to be dressed like a human being. But I am grateful to be here as well to, uh, to bring this, this um, I think, a very timely word for us as a church. When I was younger, my dad taught me how to sail. And in learning how to sail, we, we learned how to sail on small boats, Learning how to sail, really the first thing to learn is how to get on and navigate around the boat. These small boats are very unstable, they feel very uncertain, and you have to be able to move well under these conditions to sail well. Now, many of you know the same experience. If you've ever been on a canoe, you you know how easy it is to feel as if things are very uncertain. Someone new that has never been in a canoe can stand up and all of a sudden you're grabbing the sides because you know how quickly you can go over. This is what many of us feel right now. We feel like we're in very uncertain times, very turbulent times where nothing seems solid under us. Well, how have you been dealing with that? To what degree have you struggled with this COVID-19 and the threat to your own lives? Or perhaps your fear has been more over the the press on our health systems or the rocking of our financial worlds, or even the geopolitical, you know, conversation with China and Russia and the Middle East in the midst of all this. What have been some of your reactions? Have you been angry? Have you withdrawn? Have you just kind of gotten knotted up in fear and anxiety? Have you tried to be cynical and mock it as if it really doesn't matter? What have been some of your reactions? Because uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes today is going to help us to live in these uncertain times. He wants to give us wisdom so that we live well. Now, remember, Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom literature. Uh, What God is trying to do is help us to understand our world so that we can live in it rightly. See, many of us think that the point of living is success or power or position or prestige or financial security. And and the writer says, that's not so. Those things are vanity. They're not long lasting. We need to understand our world so that we can live well in it. And part of understanding our world is understanding the brevity of our lives. In fact, one author said, to live well, you need to stand at your graveside for a while. And that's what we want to do. We want to look at the, the brevity, the uncertainty, the unknowability of what's coming before us that we can live well. In fact, I find this passage... To be one of the most freeing and encouraging passages uh, that, we've, that we've covered, particularly in light of COVID 19. Because the preacher's honest. He says, you know what? We don't know a lot of stuff. And we have less control over the stuff that we even know. A- and he wants to tell us that the way we're going to live in uncertain times, the question is, how do we live in uncertain times? Here's how we live we live boldly, we live generously and we're going to live faithfully because of the providential care of God. That is how we live in these days, with a certain boldness, a robust life, where we are generous with all of our lives, and we have this unwavering trust in God who will providentially care for His children. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at this passage in two parts. First, at the uncertainty. I want to understand the uncertainties that we face, and then I want to understand the certainties that we have in God. I want to understand the uncertainties that we face in this life. And I want to understand the certainty that we have in God. So first, the uncertainties. Uh, what he does in this passage in these sh- six short verses, he gives us four times where he says, you do not know. In other words, the preacher saying there's a lot of things you don't know. There's a lot of uncertainties that you face. There's a lot of things that you just cannot be prepared for. Uh, first is in our physical world, in the future that we have. Look with me, if you will, at verse two. He says, For you do not know what disaster may happen on this earth. Now listen, there's a lot of routines that we live with, right? The sun rises, the sun sets, the seasons come and the seasons go. But at the end of the day, you cannot predict disaster. You don't know what will come tomorrow. You don't know what will be next week. And what he says here, he he turns to nature this world in verse 3 and he shows it to us he says if the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves on the earth or if a tree falls to the south or to the north and the place where the tree falls there it will lie now it's not some philosophical question can you hear a tree fall in the woods if you're not there he's simply pointing out this idea that the farmer may see the clouds full of rain he doesn't know if it's going to rain he doesn't know if it's going to drop or how much rain will drop. He doesn't know if it will cause floods, loss of property, loss of crops. He doesn't control the rain. He, doesn't, he needs it, but he doesn't know much about how it's going to happen. Or the farmer looks at the wind. He sees the wind, the wind's starting to blow. He doesn't know how heavy it's going to blow. He doesn't know if it's going to knock a tree over. If it does, will it go to the house? Will it go away from the house? He doesn't know. He doesn't control the wind. In other words, in this life under the sun, there is a randomness there is an inevitability of just things happening that we can't control. You can't predict the future, nor can I. I know we don't live that way. We live with schedules and plans. We've got vacation plan. We have all these things that we wanna do and we're planning to do, but you don't know, nor do I know. What difference would it make in your life if you actually began to plan for disaster? I'm not looking for disaster. I just mean to live within a framework of this is the way the world is. For many of us, it's a a source of great anxiety and fear. But he says we don't know. Uh, But then secondly, the second time he says we don't know, it's in regard to our own personal lives, not just the world around us, but our own lives. Look with me at verse 5. He says, You don't know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. He says, you don't know. Basically, he's saying, you don't know how children are formed. We have ultrasound. We can see the child. We can see the child develop, the sex of the child, perhaps even the approximate date or time of its birth. But we don't know how cells separate. We don't know how life is imparted. We don't know how that child is formed in the womb. Uh, I mean, the most fundamental question, how did I get here? We don't know. I remember a doctor that we had for the first two children, um, wasn't a religious man. He was a wonderful doctor, wasn't a religious man at all. And he was the first one that said, yeah, it's a miracle. We don't get it. we don't understand the beginning of life. We don't understand the end of life. We don't understand why some die of cancer, heart disease, whatever. Why this person get that, not that person. We don't know why. We know that life is a mist, but we don't know how much of a mist it is. We don't know how many days we have. We don't even know the details of our own lives. We live under that kind of uncertainty with our own lives, the spiritual world. We don't understand all the things about God. Look again at verse 5 for the third time. He says, you don't know the work of God who makes everything. It's true. We don't. I mean, we know that God made all of creation. If you believe what the scriptures teach, we believe that God made the sun. We don't know how. We know it's hot. We don't know how it functions, how it got there, how it's placed in proximity. We don't know those things. We don't even know all the creatures that are yet to be discovered under the ocean. Scientists tell us that they believe there are millions of creatures of which we don't even know. I mean, think about it. The skies above, the seas below, we don't fully know. There are all kinds of uncertainties that we face. It's not just the work of God, it's the ways of God. Take suffering, for example. While we can understand much about the purposes of suffering, we really don't know why this and not that. Why then and not now or not later? We don't understand these things. We don't have the mind of God. You know, in Job 28, he is reminding Job that we don't have this kind of wisdom. He says, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living, concealed from the birds of the air. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under heavens, but we don't. And we've already passed this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. He says, I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. We don't understand the works of God or the ways of God. Or or go from the physical world to our personal world to the spiritual world or go to the financial world. In verse 6, for the last time, he says, you don't know. We don't know whether our lives are going to be a success or failure. We don't know if our career path is going to bloom into something fantastic or not. He says, he says this, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. It's amazing here. We can make a plan in business, but we don't know if it's going to work. Who would have assumed that the hula hoop would have been the the great success that it was. You can Google it if you don't know what a hula hoop is. But, but you can make plans, but you don't know. You know, we often set up success as a goal. This would warn us against that. And of course, we don't want to aim for failure. But his point is this, that you can... You can um, work and work, but you don't know the success is yours. I've known many college graduates that thought, this is my plan. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. This is the mark I want to make in life. And their lives are totally different 10 years later in my own life. Went to the University of Maryland, studied, got a CPA, and I'm a pastor in Raleigh. I wouldn't change one thing of that, but I could have never known it just didn't know so what he's saying here in these six verses is there's much about life we don't know in the physical world in our personal world in the spiritual world and in the financial we just don't know we need to understand the world in which we live and that there are many uncertainties what I want to point out is that because we don't know these things and because there are uncertainties we often react in ways Uh, For example, like we procrastinate, we become immobilized. The uncertainties are before us and and, and we almost get stymied. Look with me at verse four. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, we can be so overwhelmed. You look at the wind and the winds are starting to pick up. I better not sow today or we're going to go out and reap the crops well look at the rain look at the clouds they look off. I'm not going to you can look at the uncertainties in life and really not do anything you can be you know it's that analysis analysis and paralysis kind of thing you can be stymied and be immobilized you know sometimes I think if we really thought about life if you really wanted to be nervous you consider what does it mean to get married or to have children or to start a business There are risks involved in those things that could literally cause you, well, I'm not going to do anything until I do it perfect. Well, if that's the role, then you'll never do anything. Uh, So so there's this procrastination. There's a stagnation that can come as we look at life with uncertainties. Uh, Another response we often make is accumulation. We see the uncertainties coming our way, and what do we do? We want to hoard, we want to protect, we want to gather everything to ourselves. That's what we saw with COVID-19. Of all things that are hoarded as toilet paper, people bought enough toilet paper for 10 years. You know, when you think about that circle of wagons, hunker down, I'm going to protect myself from life's uncertainties. It's not just selfish, but it's foolish. It's foolish because the accumulation of things will not protect you. They don't stop life from happening. You know, if you think about it, uh, Jesus taught that parable in Luke chapter 12, when there was a discussion about possessions and, you know, wanting money. And Jesus taught this parable about a rich farmer. He had fields that were good. They produced a crop. And so he enjoyed that. And then they produced more. And so he began to build bigger barns to house all that he was accumulating. And at the end he said, now I'm going to take my life easy. He thought, great, I'm insulated. I got enough stuff that I can weather any uncertainty. And Jesus said to him, he said, you're a fool. This night your life is required of you. In other words, the building up of assets, the accumulation of things will not add a day to your life. Uh, So whether it's procrastination, whether it's accumulation. Other, another response we make to these uncertainties is anxiety and fear. Now, there are some uh, threats that we do want to take consideration of, right? We lock our doors at night. Or last week, I spoke about you dig a pit to catch an animal, be careful not to fall in it. So there is a right measuring of whatever threat may be present in your life. But what I think he's speaking of here is there's an anxiety and a fear that moves us to want to control life, to want to lock down life, or there's an anxiety and fear that, that kind of begin to create almost health problems for us. There's an anxiety and fear that you begin playing out scenarios of what could be, and it just immobilizes you into, into a basket case. He's trying to give us wisdom to say, in this world, you will have these uncertainties. We can react and procrastinate, we can accumulate, or we can just whittle away in fear and anxiety. Well, let me remind you, if you're a Christian and you're listening, here's what I would encourage you to consider. First, admit that you don't know. You know, just admit that there's much I don't know. And then also admit that you're unable to do anything about some of the things that you do know. Let's admit it. Let's just confess that we don't know these things. You know, when Paul said in Romans, who has known the mind of the Lord? He wasn't waiting for us to answer. He wasn't waiting for us to raise our hands and say, I know something. We don't know a lot about life. There are many things in this life uh, that we will be unsatisfied in not getting an answer. I think we will eventually before God, but not in this life. In fact, he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There are things we won't know, and we just have to admit that. We want to humble ourselves. So when you think about Peter, you know, at the end of John's gospel, Jesus has told Peter that he's going to die. And so Peter asked Jesus, what about John? And and Jesus, don't you worry about him. You follow me. You know, there's that sense of uh, we don't want to go around the corners. We don't want to over-speculate. And that's the second thing I would say is forsake speculating and considering and over-worrying or playing out doomsday scenarios, imagining, well, it could go this way. It could go that way. Forsake that. That will do you no help. It will give you no aid in life. So we want to admit that we don't know. We want to forsake the speculating and the worrying about this, that, or the other thing. And the third, we want to repent of it. We want to repent of our anxiety. We want to repent of our, our desire to control. We want to repent that if I do these things, then I can prevent these things from happening. Uh, that, that is stepping into a realm uh, that you do not, nor do I, deserve to be. So, so if you're a Christian, then admit these things, forsake going down those dark roads, imagining what could be, God will give you grace that you need when you need it. And then repent if you need to. Even ask a brother or sister to come alongside, pray with you, and and encourage you in it. Now, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, if you're listening and you're maybe looking at the faith, I would want to ask you if we could be, like, really honest when you look at this passage. What do you do with all the uncertainties that you face? I mean, how do you handle, you know, nobody's a phone call away from hearing disastrous news. What do you do with that? You make plans, you have schedules, you may have a career path, you may have a a desired path for your family, but you don't know that anything can be. In fact, I would say that the only certainty you have is the uncertainty that you face. Now, the good news is that Ecclesiastes is written to us, all of us, to all people under the sun. Ecclesiastes isn't just written for the, for the follower of God, uh, but, the, but the one who's inquisitive of God. Because Ecclesiastes is helping us not just live under the sun, but maybe look above the sun to begin to ask those more transcendent questions, what do I do in a sea of uncertainty? And what we're going to find is that Ecclesiastes is going to lead us to hope and to prepare the soil for us to long for someone to come and lead us out of this exile into something more certain and something beautiful. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But but first, I want to remind you where we've been. There are many uncertainties that we face, many things that we don't know. And it's to lead us to a place of consideration. Who are we in God's great kingdom? Okay, so then the second half would be this. What do we do? in this life of uncertainty if this is exile a life of uncertainty across the board what do we do well one thing is you don't stagnate you don't accumulate you don't just fret away your life in fear and anxiety you know we want to be living we don't want to just be undead we want to live and that's what he says here we want to live boldly that's the first thing we do is to live boldly a robust life look with me at verse one He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, cast probably would be better translated, send your bread or send your grain upon the waters. I think it's an analogy. It's a picture for us. I think what he's referencing is live. In other words, do business. Be involved in life. If you're a farmer, if you're a merchant, then raise your grain, harvest your grain, send it. You know, there are inherent risks no doubt, in getting into business and extending yourself and sending your grain across the seas. But I think it's talking about commercial enterprise, about engage in life, even though there are risks. Now he says, be wise about the risks. You know, presumption is a sin. And that's why I think he says in verse 2, he says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, if you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. I think he's probably saying, don't Put all your grain in one ship. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, in other words. Diversify. You know, recognize the haphazard nature of life, and so be broad-minded. You know, don't leave yourself vulnerable to that kind of all the eggs in one basket. I think that's what he's saying. To to engage in business, to take risks, to live robustly. He says the same thing in verse 6. He says, In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both will be good. In other words, be diligent. In the morning, be working, in the evening, be working. Be aggressive, be continuous. And not just at work, not just in the office, but I'm talking about all of life. Live life to the full. I mean, live it at work. Do your best for the glory of God and for the benefit of the customer. Love your spouse fully completely engage in fun in great measure engage the community or whatever hobbies you have i think he's simply saying in the midst of all these uncertainties don't retract and huddle up and circle the wagons live bold live live large i think there's more going on though in fact in the face of risks live large so uh, there was a former member here And uh, I used to work for a a big corporation. And I I love what he he told me about during his career, they had a season of time where at your annual review, you had to bring one failure. You had to bring something that you attempted to do in your job uh, that had the promise of success, but it would fail. You had to say there was some failure. What they were trying to do was, you know, employees are scared to be innovative. They're scared to try something new. They don't want a bad report. And so this company was wise enough to say, we want your failures. The company was trying to get them to think creatively, boldly, to take risks. That's what he's saying here. He's saying with these three commands in here, you know, send your grain and give a portion and, and sow your seed." And, and I think God's saying, live your life to the full. But there's a second thing I think he's saying. He's saying not just live boldly, but live generously. When you look back at this text, interestingly, the, you know, the theologians in the Middle Ages tended to interpret this a little differently, as well as the Puritans. They saw this as not just engaging a commercial enterprise and working and, and the various aspects of life, but about giving generously. In other words, cast your bread or give your bread and give a, give a portion to seven, even eight, you know, seven's kind of a perfect number in scripture. And so give to the full, but even more give generously, you know, particularly in uncertain times we want to be giving generously of what we have, you know, again, in uncertain times, our knee jerk reaction is to kind of pull back and, and want to make sure we have enough for ourselves. And what he's saying, there's no wisdom in these uncertain times. Be generous. Be bold about it. Give it away. Give your material wealth away. Not saying run yourself into poverty, but to be generous in the midst of uncertain times. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good for you to say. Live boldly and live generously. How in the world can I do that in the midst of COVID-19 or any other, any other kind of uncertainty? Well, this is the third thing and that is to live faithfully. If you notice in verse 5, God is mentioned for the first and only time in this passage. And what we read is that you don't know the works of God who made everything. Now, when you see that God made everything, your mind ought to drift right back to Genesis chapter 1, where he says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God, out of nothing, created all things. So he's kind of resource heavy. So in other words, if God has made all things, if he's sovereign over all things, if he governs all things, if he sustains all things, if he brings all things to the end that he desires, then we can live boldly and we can live generously. Why? Because he's going to care for us. Now, there may be some of you right now that are saying, you know what? If he made all things, why are we in the chaos that we are? And that's a great question. And I would simply say this, when you look at the beginning of the Bible, which kind of sets out the course of human history, you see that he created all things and they were good. Uh, But you see, uh, fundamental to us, but you see it in the first couple, uh, they were not satisfied in the certainty of the garden and in the presence of God. They wanted to do their own thing. They didn't trust God's goodness. They thought he was withholding from him. They wanted to make the choices they wanted to make. Now, before we just look at them kind of with uh, a turned down nose, we see the seeds in ourselves as well. When someone tells you, I want you to do this, you find your back kind of bristle up a little bit. I mean, you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and so do I. We have that, that rebellious streak in us that wants to do, that wants to be the captain of our own soul. And so that sin in them is in us. And that sin earned a consequence of moving them from the certainty of Eden to the uncertainty of exile. And and so the chaos and the uncertainties that we have is the fruit of sin. That's why Ecclesiastes is so important, because it's letting us know this is the world of exile. This is what life is like under the sun. It's trying to lift our eyes above the sun. Who will deliver us? You know, when you look at the Old Testament, God gave us a picture of what he would ultimately do in the story of Moses delivering the nation of Israel from exile in Egypt. And he delivered them from exile so as to bring them to a place of worship and promise, this promised land, the land that God would give his people. Well, in like measure, but better, God has sent a son. In God's unseeable wisdom, God has sent a son. God who made everything prepared. He made or prepared a body for his own son to come into our exile to lead us out. How does God do this in his wisdom? He does it through what we call the gospel, the gospel being that in the wisdom of God, he has brought forth a son and the son would live perfectly before him in perfect wisdom, not just knowing wisdom, not just speaking wisdom, but actually being wisdom. And he bears upon himself our sin. He actually takes the curse that led us into exile upon himself and that he would lay down his life before the father bearing his wrath, that we might be led out of exile into the certainty of a new heavens and a new earth. That's the story of the Bible, that Jesus has come to live and to die and to be raised, to ascend to the Father and now seated at the right hand of God as king over all things. This is the wisdom of God. This is what brings us to a place of certainty of our souls. Jesus says, not one of those given to me will I lose. There's nothing. There's neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, neither anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Or he who began a perfect, he who began a work in us will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. We have all these certain promises now that in the midst of our uncertainty, we have certainty, and the certainty rests in Christ Himself, the Son, the wisdom of God, who has come into exile with us to lead us out. So now we can live in the midst of all this seeming chaos, uncertainties continue to exist, but we live in the certainty that God has chosen to love us and to save us. So what do we do with this? How do we go forward? Well, at the risk of being just a shade redundant in my applications, let me just give you four things to consider that you can talk about. I encourage you to challenge one another in as you go about the rest of this day. Number one would be, again, to return to this idea of admit your inability. I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves, to humble ourselves, we don't understand everything, and that's going to be okay because God does. We cannot understand everything. So so that's the first thing we want to admit. Uh, Secondly, we want to be willing to take risks. We want to live boldly. We don't want to constantly be stymied, but what if this happens or what if that happens? No, let's live boldly. I I mean, let's let's invite others into our lives that maybe are a little different than us. Uh, Let's be willing to enter ministry. Uh, Let's be willing to maybe go on a mission trip, you know, in the face of what are we going to do as we begin to regather? No, 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 let's be bold. Let's be wise about the risks we take. Again, presumption is a sin, uh, but but let's be wise, but let's be bold. Let's begin to forgive more completely. Let's be willing to love more unilaterally. Uh, We wanna be bold in the way that we live because our time is short. There is, we have these brief lives. Now, God has ordained days for us to live, so we don't need to worry about that, but we wanna live in that. I may have mentioned before, but you, know, you can be, uh, we want to be more than undead. We want to be alive. We want to live boldly. You, you, taking risks. You see this in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this parable. He says, there's a man who has three servants, and he gives one five talents, one two, and the last servant he gives one talent to. And he says, now go and invest that. Take risks and Invest. And I'll come back and, we'll, you know, th- there'll be an accounting. So the, the owner comes back and the one with five, he invested, he took risk and he brought five more back. Well done. That was great. The one that had two invested, took risk, brought two extra back. Well done, my faithful servant. The man that's chided is the man who took the one talent and buried it. He didn't do anything with it. He wasn't going to take any risk. He was going to hoard it. He was going to keep it for himself just in case. You know, the owner goes sideways on me. And he's the one that's rebuked. You know, both Jim Elliott, a mission to Central America, and uh, Henry Martin, mission to the Middle East, they said something similar. Henry Martin said, I am immortal until God's word for me to do is done. God's work for me to do is done. The Lord reigns. It's a beautiful way to live. I'm immortal until his work is finished. Jim same thing. As your life is in his hands, so are the days of your life. Remember, you are immortal until your work is done. I, I mean this idea of living boldly, can I encourage you to do that? Where are you procrastinating? Where are you accumulating? Where are you stagnating and and just stopping in anxiety and fear? You know, draw somebody close to you that you can share these things with, that they can challenge you and encourage you forward. So be willing to take risks. And and then thirdly, I would say celebrate life. I mean, in the midst of COVID, celebrate life. Be thankful to God for everything He's given to you. I mean, have you not heard this over and over? uh, Multiple times throughout this book. What ought we to do? Listen, enjoy the food you have. Enjoy the drink you have. Enjoy the spouse that you have, the friendships that you have. Enjoy the work that you have. Remember now... God has given these gifts to us. Now, God has given this gift, for example, of work. He has not given us the gift of work so that we can be a success and build up an empire. He's given us the gift of work because it's a gift in itself. Because a lot of people are going to be good workers. They're not going to know big empires. Think of all the generations before you. There were good carpenters. There were good blacksmiths. They were good workers and they didn't build up an empire, but they had joy because they know that God had given them the gifts to use this in work that could serve other people and bring glory to his name. So enjoy the work that is given to you. Revel in that. So tonight, sit down, go around the table, thank God for the food, thank God for the drink, thank God for the jobs that you have, thank God for the relationships that you have. That in a, in a sea of pandemic, let God's people be seen to be celebrating the gifts that God has given to them, even while in exile. It's the kindness of God, we want to worship Him for it. And then last, I would say give generously. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, of course, picking up on the text, we want to give liberally. And I mean by that of our material things. That In uncertain times, I know the stock market's been rocked. We can afford to give because he's made everything. Now, thankfully, many people in this church has already given. We, we, have, a, we have a nice fund right now, a coronavirus fund, that can help those who have need. But I want to be thinking broader than just giving money. I mean, give your time. Maybe even pick up. When the restrictions are lifted, pick up tutoring with refugee hope partners. Uh, maybe engaging neighbors. Take the risk of having neighbors over for dinner and beginning to talk to them about how did they make it through this time of uncertainty, giving you, you the opportunity to share the gospel, at least to you know make a defense for the hope that's within you. Uh, but give of yourself. Give generously. Look, think in your mind that in this short life, gaining is not, or getting is not gaining, but gaining is giving. That's what we wanna be about. And and secondly, I would say, give the benefit of the doubt. As we come back together, hopefully, hopefully, in the next month, maybe a little more, um, we're gonna be coming together and people are gonna have different views on this thing. Some are gonna be a little more skittish, they may wear masks, others may not. Others may be bold and they're gonna throw caution in the wind, they wanna hug everybody. Let's just give each other grace in this. Let's show neighborly love. Let's look at it like a Romans 14. Some want to eat meat, some don't. That's fine. Some may feel more comfortable about wearing a mask. Others don't. That's fine. But, but let's, let's be generous in how we look. You know, you look at the news and you look at the polarization in the midst of this pandemic. May God have mercy on us. And then last, I would say, uh, give generously of hope. Look for opportunities. Maybe even call somebody up in this church and remind them of the sovereign goodness of God, how he's made all things. He's sovereign over all things. He's going to lead us out of this exile into being in his own presence, enjoying him forever. So let's give hope to one another. Engage in discipleship relationships. Try to encourage other people in these truths and look for opportunities to give this hope to your neighbor. Let's utilize this time. Let's not waste this unique moment in our history, but let us be willing to take risks. Let us celebrate life and let us give generously. Thank you. Let's let's pray together. Father, I do thank you and praise you for this time and this word. Uh, You have blessed us, Father, that as a church, uh, you led us to study this book before this uh, COVID-19 was ever on the radar screen. You led us to study this. and, And you are trying to fashion and form a people through the preaching of your word that we might display your glory to our neighbors and to the nations. And so, Father, for your glory and for our joy, give us uh, generously because you are a giver. Jesus has given himself generously for us. Give to us your spirit that we might walk in a manner that will glorify you and encourage others toward you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.